0: my soul
1: It's one of my favorite hymns of all time. It's not my absolute favorite. You all know my absolute favorite is uh, Be Thou My Vision, but uh, Arise, My Soul, Arise would come right after it because the truth that is packed into, what, five verses, I think it is? And you have to sing all of them. If you sing Arise, My Soul, Arise, and you only sing one or two verses, shame on you. The whole thing goes together, okay? <laughs> so, but just the very first phrase, what is, it, what is it we're being told to do? Arise, my soul, arise. Why? because five bleeding wounds he bore which paid my sacrifice I can come boldly before the throne of grace in my time of need when I have messed up when I have sinned when I am struggling I can go to Jesus Christ because of what he has done for me and I can come boldly to him tonight we have uh, brother Rodney, Rodney Myers and his family I'll let you introduce everybody if you don't mind but he's going to come and just explain their ministry with uh, GFF Ministries tonight Um, If I'm not mistaken, you guys were in Africa before, is that correct? And then transitioned to the the mission agency after that. So I'll let you kind of tell the story to update those who may not know all those details. So, okay, go ahead and come, brother. Excellent. Yes, sir.
2: Thank you, Pastor. God bless you. God bless you, church. First, before I move on to say anything else, I'm going to check to see if my microphone is on. I have a red light. That means I'm good. Well, I don't know what means that, but it does mean that there is uh, there is work going on with this contraption. Good. So the next thing I would like to say is that my family wants to express to you, Harvest Hills Baptist Church, a deep, heartfelt gratitude of thanks for your faithfulness to support our family with your prayers, with the reading of our prayer letters and with your financial giving over these past 20 years. And I am very grateful for that. Maybe you were here 20 years ago. Maybe you weren't, doesn't matter. This church was here and you are a part of it and you have entered into this church's labor and because of what the Lord has saw fit to use our family to do to accomplish His will and His kingdom over these years, you have also entered into the reward of those labors as well. And therefore, as we rejoice with people who have been saved, turned their lives over to Christ, gone on into spiritual service for the kingdom of god you might not recognize the faces or names or even places but you will you will so in light of that let me transition into a video that i would like to show you that demonstrates the philosophy of our mission board and as I do that, I will come back after the video to introduce my family, tell more about uh, what the Lord is doing now in the five years that we have been uh, relocated to the United States, where I serve as the director of our board, previous 13 years in Tanzania, East Africa. But this video details the, uh, the distinctives of our mission board that together, we believe, uh, puts the philosophy to the practice that is started with the right biblical doctrines. And so please let, uh, take a moment to view this and then I'll be right back.
3: It is no secret that the missionary force of today is shrinking by the year. While it is difficult to come up with hard, fast numbers, it could be said that half of the missionaries who begin deputation never make it to the mission field. Of those who actually make it to the field, roughly half of them leave after staying just two to four years. Perhaps it is time to examine the way in which we train and prepare workers for long-term missions. The Gospel Furthering Fellowship is an independent Baptist mission board with 6 distinctives that target this area of concern. First of all, we partner new missionaries with experienced mentors who will assist them specifically with deputation, deployment, and debriefing. Missionaries are being trained to go do something they've never done in a land in which they've never lived, and are expected to succeed long term in a skill set they haven't yet developed. Having a mentor to walk them through the critical transitions of ministry help to set or reset them on the right course. This will bring about a spiritual dependency and fruit that belongs to the Lord. We believe in planting churches that are independent from inception, rather than an eventual aspiration. If faith unto salvation can cause nationals to turn from their bonds to Christ, then that same faith is quality and mature enough to continue to live by without making them dependent on something other than Christ. We believe that evangelism as propagated by the missionary should target the sinner's conscience rather than his societal circumstances. We believe that modeling an autonomous ministry, which can be replicated through the faith and finances of national believers alone, is crucial to the longevity of an overseas ministry. One of GFF's former directors, Doug Miller, spent 30 years in the Hill tribes of Indonesia and saw God do a work in the Moscona and Hatam tribes. Doug said, for a tribal church to be financed or built by someone other than themselves, even if it were to stand for a 100 years, will always be viewed by them as foreign. It's only when it's forged and financed built and bought by the new believers in that tribe that they will ever accept ownership over it, and that from the beginning. We take a proactive rather than reactive approach to missionary care. We understand missionaries are susceptible to stresses of life, culture shock, and traumatic injuries related to their work as they labor in some of the darkest and most disturbing corners of the world. Because of that, we as a mission have developed a missionary care unit which helps missionaries to understand and overcome much of those adversities. In doing so, many more will stay longer on the field and labor more profitably in their works. This will establish fruit from their labor that remains. Finally, we promote furthering the gospel among three categories of people. The unreached, isolated tribes of the world, those who have no gospel witness in either their culture or language, The underreached nations, whether they dwell under an oppressive government system of communism or behind an iron curtain of religion. These nations have the gospel in their language and culture, but it is filtered out and purposely falsified so as to continue to keep people enslaved by fear. And the misreached demographics of many religious people groups who have been converted to a form of Christianity but have effectively traded the crude chains of heathenism for the contemporary chains of a false Christianity which cannot save. They have been misreached with another gospel and another Christ. At GFF, our motto is, Ministry with Integrity. If ministry is not worth doing with integrity, it is not worth doing at all.
2: So, who I have with me tonight would be my wife, uh, who, if she would just stand up for a moment, I like to embarrass you in the proper way. (laughs) Lynn and I have been married for 25 years, and 13 of those years were in Tanzania, East Africa, as uh, church planters among the people there. We went to Tanzania with two young boys, more about them in a minute. But the Lord uh, definitely blessed our family while we were there with two girls. Uh, The first one, we moved to Tanzania while my wife was expecting her. I was expecting her as well, but in a much different way. Uh, And she arrived during our first term. Mariah, would you please stand? Mariah Faith is uh, 18 years old. She graduated from high school homeschooling last year took a gap year to work that she might be able to afford to put herself through college like her brothers before her, and she will be starting at Ambassador Baptist College in North Carolina, if you've ever heard of that college, uh, beginning in the fall, and that would leave Cherith, Cherith Brooke, no, I didn't ask you to stand, (laughs) I'm just being serious, no, really. Um, she came uh, in 2007. She is 16 years old, and we are very grateful for her. Are you going into your junior year? As a homeschooler, it's really kind of hard to tell what year they're actually going into as opposed to the curriculum that they're using, but I believe we got that right. She gave me the go-ahead nod. So that brings me to our two older brothers, uh, Sean, who was married uh, two years ago, pastors the Grace Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant Mills, Pennsylvania, for the last year. They have a almost four-month-old little daughter uh, by the name of Amelia, and I was able to see her on FaceTime earlier today. She's growing leaps and bounds, kind of this way at that age, uh, but nonetheless very cute. The Lord has uh, led him and and his wife. Both who grew up as missionary kids, Sean in Tanzania, his wife Elizabeth in Kenya, uh, to the Democratic Republic of the Congo as church planting missionaries there. And as the Lord leads them to finish their, uh, their being at uh, Calvary Baptist Church, there, oh, we have someone way over here too. I need to keep, keep moving my head. Um, the Lord will then lead them on to deputation and then on to uh, the, uh, the city of Goma in the DRC. We visited there this last December. We were there for three weeks, and we didn't know that the Lord would do this, but during our time there, we were actually uh, instig- uh, instigated believers who had made professions of faith, but in a different, several different churches, who knew that the churches they were in were not going the right direction? But when we met them, and one of them was our guide to uh, to go around the city to introduce us uh, to many different aspects to see what we could find out how Sean and Elizabeth were would be able to live and minister in that city if the Lord called them there. We found out that they were seeking for a more biblical worldview of their faith. And over that time, we were able to be used of the Lord to help them with that. And since they spoke uh, Swahili there in the Eastern Congo and all the church planting and evangelism efforts that I spent in the previous 13 years was in Swahili, I was able to walk them through my church planting materials, salvation, discipleship, leadership training. And uh, just a couple of weeks after we returned from that trip, they themselves, planted the, uh, the gospel-furthering independent Baptist church in the city of Goma on their own faith and by their own finances. The only resources that I helped them with is by continued counsel and uh, a couple of books I was able to print to help them uh, walk through the materials. And so we see that the, the Lord is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. His word does not return unto him void, and he is certainly able to, out of obedient faith of anyone, wherever they are in the world, to bless that with sufficient, abounding grace for them to do the work of the Lord. It's not about a lack of finances. It's about a lack of faith and whether we can uh, put that faith in Christ wherever that is in the Lord. And so that's where uh, Sean and Elizabeth and Amelia uh, are headed at some point in the future. And then my younger son, uh, Jameson, just finished at uh, Pensacola Christian College with a mechanical engineering degree. But during his time in pursuing that degree, the Lord specifically directed him to be a church planting missionary in some Middle Eastern country, uh, which will probably go unnamed if we are on YouTube right now. Uh, But we had the opportunity him and I to visit in a few different Middle Eastern countries uh, Just uh, this last May and June and the Lord was able to solidify For sure the calling and the location in his heart through the circumstances that we went through there if you want to know more then you could read my last uh, Prayer letter that you probably got within the last few days or week or so and so that would be my family And we are very grateful that when he brought us back to the United States and I took over the Gospel Furthering Fellowship as the general director uh, in January of 2018, from that time until now, we have been developing three main aspects so that our mission, GFF, would be a missionary service agency uh, primarily whether that would be our own missionaries or or missionaries from uh, from local churches or from other mission boards. And those three areas uh, target very specifically missionary care, missionary care. Missionary care is a necessary service to missionaries with the idea that we all, when we go to the foreign field to a place that we plan to live on and have prepared to live in long term, not just many times, almost unanimously experience at some point in our careers, in our careers, even within the first two or three years, traumatizing events that lead to unexplained stress. Stress that many times uh, disrupts not only our personal life but our family life, and it ripples out to our ministries. And when that happens, many times we don't know who to reach out to. Do we reach out to our home church? They don't have the common life experiences that we do on the field to really be able to comprehend and to process what we have been experiencing. So will they? Uh, will they? Uh, uh, will they? Uh, underappreciate? Will they overreact? Uh, What will happen if we reach out to our mission board? Well, they usually do professional debriefing not personal debriefing. They want to know how the health of the ministry is going and they want to know about the health of the person as well. However, in order to know as to whether they uh, can continue in the professional aspect. But at GFF, in the missionary care aspect, we have removed ourselves from the aspect of the professional to allow them to reach out a hand and our hand reach back to be able to give them a safe place, a safe location to use whatever language they choose to describe the traumatizing stress that they see themselves going through and help them to understand that is a normal response to abnormal circumstances. And the scriptures call us to bear one another's heavy burdens, Galatians chapter 6, ones that we are not designed to carry alone. And therefore we help them to process so that they can resolve or at least manage the type of debilitating stress that oftentimes cripples them so that they cannot continue in ministry long term. And so we believed that that was a critical uh, aspect of mission ministry that had been overlooked or or misrepresented for many years, now we are uh, spearheading work in that area. And The two other areas I'll just mention very quickly is the area of mission surveying, where we actually go with uh, serious-minded mission uh, candidates to their target fields, and while at that field, look for a way to help them to determine How can they live here practically long term? How can they serve here long term? Where are they gonna get their water? How are they gonna treat it? Is electricity available? or what other means do they need to get? What about trash? What about medical? What about pharmacies? Uh, what about engine repair? And because of our experience and, you know 13 years of living in a third world country, we know the avenues of how to gather meaningful information in order to give them a light of knowing how they can go. I'll give you just a quick word. My oldest son, Sean, when we were leaving for the Congo, Uh, With the young wife and and she was just expecting at that point he told me I I know that God has called me to go to the Congo and we are going to go I just don't see how it's going to happen and then by the time we were returning He told me I could see the light of how this can happen well, that's what we want to do with any uh, missionary candidate help them to be able to uh, uh, practically see how God can use them in that area uh, by taking them into these places. Very similar testimony from my son Jameson when we visited the Middle East. The other aspect of our missionary would be that missionary strategy. Listen, you just don't share the gospel and plant churches in one country in the way that you do in any other country. There are many countries where people groups uh, primarily have been trained from cradle through college, uh, that the the way that you define sin is by what brings people honor and what brings them shame especially elders in other countries it's they they define uh, sin by uh, by how the people who rule over them in fear by appeasement and then of course you have uh, other cultures like the united states who define what's right and wrong primarily based on a guilt and innocence system. And so we see that guilt and innocence system, the way in which the scriptures by and large Mm -hmm. give the gospel context to, to knowing that you are a sinner, knowing how to come to Christ as a guilty condemned sinner who paid the price to satisfy the just demands of the law, and in doing so, made it possible for your guilt to be declared innocent through the work of Jesus Christ, that you might be justified by the one who justifies. That's not the way that the majority of people groups in the world see the gospel. They see it through what brings honor, what brings shame, not what brings guilt and what brings innocent. And so with a, with a lot of other principles besides those, uh, we help to determine the type of people group, context in which they live, on how we c- they can approach those people prayerfully, humbly, spiritually, courageously, relying on God's word and the Holy Spirit to plant churches where people will repent of their sin and turn in faith to Jesus Christ, laying aside their loyalties to their country, to their government and to their elders and laying that on the person of Jesus Christ instead. And that is what's key, I believe, for New Testament church planting in the age we live in. And so that sums up the ministry uh, service that we provide at the Gospel Furthering Fellowship And I ask for your continued prayer and support as we trust the Lord to do that which is, we believe, biblical, spiritual, and will bring fruit that remains unto the end. And so with that being said, I don't know if there is a timekeeping device that, yeah, it's not digital though, so let me see. (laughs) I remember my public school upbringing. All right. All right. Very good. In light of that, I would invite you to take your copy of the Holy Scripture and turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, but I'm not going to preach out of all uh, 10 verses. I'm going to focus in on two verses here, for time's sake, because I know that I've already given you a lot of information, and I I know something that you don't know probably, and uh, as Pastor glares at me, I'm not sure that I'm going to actually share with you what I know uh, <laughs> from him, and just simply say, turn to Luke 17. We'll read verses 1 through 10. We'll focus in on two specific verses, and then we'll stop and uh, pray, and I'll get into the uh, challenge tonight. Luke 17, verse number 1. Now, I didn't bring my reading glasses tonight, so I'm going to need to to read these verses uh, out of my uh, copy of the Word of God on my computer because it's like 24-point font, and this is like 4-point font unfortunately then said he unto the disciples it is impossible but that offenses will come but woe to him through whom they come it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones take heed to yourselves if thy brother trespass against thee rebuke him and if he repent Forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day. Any parents out there with children? Okay. Uh, if your children, no, if thy brother trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Say it with me. Increase our faith. Exactly. You know why? Because it's hard, number one, to confront someone in their sin. That takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of meekness as well to do it biblically, spiritually right. However, to forgive them when they repent and then when they mess up again to do it again and then again and again, his apostles are saying jesus you just put your finger on something that we cannot do therefore we need a supernatural enabling to perform that which you are asking us to obey therefore increase our faith all right that's not the verse i'm going to preach on verse six and the lord said if ye had faith as the grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet? No, that's preposterous. That is in not said but implied and will not rather say unto him make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken and afterward thou shalt eat and drink doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him I trow not so likewise Ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants which have done that which was our duty to do. Let's stop for a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider just for these next few moments, the spiritual axis over which our faith is built, and then what we should see supernaturally develop from that faith. I pray that you'll help us to simply be illuminated to the truth through which you choose to change our heart, our life, our thinking, our spirit, our behavior, that we might serve you in a way that is different than before we came. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. It was Hudson Taylor, missionary to China for 51 years, who said this, God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. When we look back at these verses, I want to draw out just a couple of them just for the sake of time. And point you to first that verse where the disciples said that for us to be able to perform that which we already know that we cannot do, our faith needs to be. It needs to be what? And what did Jesus say? No, it doesn't. No, listen, it was by faith that jesus approached peter and james and john when they had already laid aside all to follow john the baptist preaching to repent and be baptized in order to prepare for the coming of the messiah which was near and Jesus approached them while they were fishermen and said, Come and follow me. And what did they do? They forsook their nets and they went and followed him. Why? Because they had faith not only to repent, but faith to receive instruction to follow and make fishers of men. They had faith. They did. And so as they are walking with the Lord Jesus Christ and they are discovering by the Master's example and word that their faith that they have living and abiding in them that caused them to be able to forsake all and follow Him, it was strong enough for that, but it needed to be weak to rely on what God wanted to do supernaturally through them that they had not yet learned to do and so it's not that they needed to increase their faith jesus says this if you had the faith the size of a whoa 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 whoa! too many adults answering me here i want to hear some kids voices the size of a Dude, you guys are awesome. That's exactly right. The size of a mustard seed, you might, and I'm just, gonna, I'm just going to restate this. We'll go back and look at it. You might say to this tree, then be plucked up and move away. In other words, you might do that, which is impossible for man. But which is possible for God. And that's where Christ wanted them to see themselves as weak and feeble so that God could do something strong through them. And so he says this if you had faith as a grain or a seed, a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root. And be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Three things about this seed, about this grain. Number one, it's little. It's there, but it's little. You can't increase something that isn't there. It's little. Number two, it is lacking. That's the disciples did understand that. It was big enough in the past to cause them to repent and be baptized because of having their sins remitted when they followed John the Baptist. It was big enough to answer Christ's call to leave their nets and follow him, but it was not yet strong enough to follow what was coming next. And therefore, number three, it's already loaded. It's already loaded. Listen, he compared it to a grain, a grain of mustard seed. When a grain or a seed, the smallest thing, falls from the tree, lands into the ground, and it dies. It already contains everything inside of it that it needs to become a massive tree or a massive plant that produces fruit. Everything is loaded already on the inside. It doesn't need to nurture on the tree it fell from for the first two or three, four years until it seems strong enough to cut the umbilical roots and become its own tree. Everything is there. It just simply needs to die and in death, spring up life. And that's what Jesus is comparing your faith to and your faith to and my faith too, that everything is there for us in order to see God do something in us and through us that we can't do ourselves if we'll step out in humble obedience and he'll bless that obedience and accomplish that which is supernatural. You know why? Because it's the natural process of faith to accomplish the supernatural. It's this natural process. And so Jesus says here, listen, I'm going to use hyperbole. I'm going to do something, tell you something that it's not a lie, it's just an exaggeration. Okay? How does that make sense? Well, Jesus is telling you something that he's not going to ask his disciples to do that thing. Find a tree, speak to it, and it'll planted into an ocean that's ridiculous but he's demonstrating that it is in their minds a an impossible supernatural feat to do now it might not be so much for us today because we've seen so many superhero movies on TV where they do all of these supernatural, godlike things. And so it loses our luster on us. But listen, you're living in the first century and you're a fisherman following Jesus around, and he gives you this illustration. You're thinking, wow, that's as hard as forgiving my brother seven times in a day. Impossible. That's what Jesus is saying. He's using hyperbole to say this is an impossible thing. It's impossible to forgive your brother seven times a day if you confront him and repent. The same type of impossibility. But listen, it takes the faith that is the size of a grain of mustard seed to naturally produce a supernatural result if you'll step out and be obedient to do that which God wants to do a work. In and through you. No, you can't do it. No. That's the point. That's where faith takes over, by being obedient. And so we see faith's natural response not only to self, but to service. It sees the impossible and its possibilities, but also it suffers things that are the insurmountable. Verses 7 and 8. But which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by when he has come from a field, go and sit down to meat? Will you not say, rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward thou shalt eat and drink do you think that that? Do you think that servant, because he did the things which were commanded him, I trow not. Listen. So likewise, ye, when ye shall have done all these things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. Don't say, Why didn't I get someone to recognize and thank me for this insurmountable amount of work that I did, and then rewarded with more work to do afterwards? But faith. The size of a mustard seed is able to look at the possibilities of that which is impossible. He is also able to suffer the insurmountable. And then, thirdly, he is able to be satisfied with mere service. With mere service. He doesn't need the validation of the praise of mankind. He doesn't need the gratitude of other people telling him he can still do it. But instead, all he needs is to understand that he has served the living God who has accomplished amazing things through him that he could not do. And that satisfaction satisfies the soul. And in light of that, he sets down and he says these words, I am an unprofitable servant. I have done that which was my duty to do. Listen, you know what's so amazing about this faith? It is simply this, that it relies on God for its work that it produces and it relies on God for its satisfaction that comes from producing that work because it's all about God. It's all about God. Listen, this is the truth. Hudson Taylor, 51 years as a missionary in China. He spent that time there and was responsible for bringing over 800 missionaries to the country who started 125 schools and directly resulted in 18,000 Christian conversions, as well as establishing more than 300 stations of work with more than 500 local helpers in all 18 provinces of China. However, during that time also, the Chinese spread rumors concerning him and the other missionaries. Offensive posters covered city walls. Angry mobs formed outside the gates of their their, their house And on one particular occasion the numbers grew from eight to ten thousand over a period of a few days and when they could no longer contain them the mob rioted and swarmed the house they looted they wrecked they attempted to burn the house and after the mob left the missionaries suffered only injuries and no deaths traumatized for sure and even in the following year, Hudson lost his wife, Maria, to cholera. The truth of the matter is this. God had sent these people to do a work that was impossible among a people that was ungrateful. And he had the insight to tell himself and the others and even us today That God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on Him. To lean on Him to allow true, genuine faith to work its way out supernaturally so that His service can be done. Whatever that means for you, I challenge you with those words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do certainly love you and thank you. We thank you that you made us weak. We thank you that you have challenged us to rely on you. We thank you that this vessel that you've given us to occupy this body and this life is winding down and breaking down, but you have promised to renew our inward man every day. We thank you, Father, that you walk with us and that you accomplish things that we never thought could be, but for your glory, whether we ever see those accomplishments in our own lifetime or if we only learn of them at the end of the age when you bring them up before you and the uh, and others and declare well done, thou good and faithful servant. Father, help us not to get caught up on what we can't do and help us to remember on what you've called us to do. And as we attempt to do these things, we pray that your Holy Spirit would give us the power to do it together, unified as one church in this place and the ripples of that obedient faith move throughout the world that those who are touched by it in far-reaching places would also hear of our faith and through the gospel receive Christ and be saved. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, we're
1: going to go ahead and have a time of invitation. If if you don't mind standing, heads bowed, eyes closed, the piano's going to play. I uh, appreciate the work of GFF. A couple main things about them that I really appreciate is their focus on indigenous works and the missionary care, because that is not as common as you would think it is. But I appreciate the message tonight where he challenges us that God can use the weakest of us right, to do great things. 1 Corinthians says that God has not chosen the mighty of this world, but those who are weak, those who are who are who are um, not esteemed to be able to do his work for him, so that he would receive the glory tonight. So God can use any single one of